I am pulling off a very, very cool trick. I just want to point out before we get started. Okay. On the Talk Python channel, I'm doing a podcast with Anthony Shaw and Shane from Microsoft about uh, Azure and Python and some CLI stuff they built and Fast API. Okay. And at the exact same time, I'm doing this one here. And they're both streaming live. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how, that, how that's happening. <laughs> the other one was recorded uh, uh, two months ago, and uh, we couldn't release it because some of the things weren't finished yet. But, so I just I hit go on that. The real one, if you're, if you're bouncing around, the real one is here. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Joe is here. Anyway, with that, you ready to start a podcast? Yeah, definitely. Hello, and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 294, recorded July 12th, 2022. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I am Brian Aachen. It's just us this weekend, or this It's today. just us. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I I don't know. You know, Dean on the audience asks, is this a daily podcast show now? Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit torn about it. I feel like we almost could do a daily show. But then I think what it might take to do a daily show, knowing how much work a, mo- a weekly show is, and I no, it's not a day, it's not a daily podcast. No, might be fun to do sometime, just do like a full week or something, just to right, exactly, just a, a super. This there's so much news we're every day uh, for the week, cool. <laughs> but just well, like the same topics, like six days in a row. Just do them over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. All right. Am I up first this week? You are. Yes. Right on. Well. Let me tell you about something special, specialist. Okay. Just last week, I believe it was, I interviewed Alex Waygood, who did the write-up for the Python Language Summit. And as part of the topics we were discovering, you know, the Python Language Summit and Python this year is focusing a lot on performance and what's called the Shannon Plan. So this is Mark Shannon's plan to make Python five times faster over five releases. It's got a ton of support at Microsoft. Hedo van Rossum's there working on it, but they've hired like five or six other people who are full-time working on making Python faster now. So awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. However, one of the things that made Python 3.11 fast is some of the early work they did. And it's it comes down to PEP 5, uh, 659, a specializing adaptive interpreter. So let me tell you about the this feature, this performance improvement first. And then we'll see what specialist is about because it's about understanding and visualizing this okay. behavior. Okay. So one of the things that is a problem with uh, Python because it's it's dynamic and it its types can change and what can be passed could vary. I mean, you could have type hints, but you can violate the type hints all day long and it's fine. So what the interpreter has to do is say, well, we're going to do all of our operations super general. So if I have a function and it's called add and it takes X and Y and it returns X plus Y, seems easy, but is that string addition? Is that numerical addition? Is that some mm-hmm. co- custom operator overloading with um, a dunder add or whatever it is in some type? If it fails in one way, you kind of got to reverse it. Like there's all this unknown, right? Yeah. What if you knew? What if you knew those were integers and not classes or not strings. You could run different code. You wouldn't have to first figure out what they are. Are they compatible? Do you do the add in uh, the uh, low level C Python internals or do you go to like some Python class and do it? Right. You could be much more focused. Yeah. Additionally, if it was uh, adding for a list, you could say, well, if I know their list, what we just do is go list.extend and we give it the other list, right? We don't hunt around and figure out all this other stuff. So that's the general idea of the specializing interpreter is it goes through and it says, look, we don't know for sure what could be passed here, but if it looks like over and over, 
we're running the same code and it's always the same types, is there a way we could specialize those types, right? Is there a way that we could put specific code for adding numbers or specific code for combining lists? And this is called um, adaptive and speculative specialization, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my favorite part of it, when it's performed, it's called the quickening. Quickening oh. is the process of replacing slow instructions with faster variants. So kind of like I said, it has some advantages over immutable bytecode. It can be changed at runtime, like you see we're always adding integers. It can use super instructions that span lines or take um, multiple operands. And it does not need to handle tracing as it can fall back to the original bytecode for that, okay? Okay. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. Like the example they give is um, you might want to specialize load adder. So load adder is a way to say, give me the value that this thing contains. But what is the thing? One of the things you might do is you might realize it's an instance class, and then you would call load adder instance value. Okay. You might realize it's a module, and you might call load adder module or slot or so on, right? But if you knew, you don't have to go through first the abstract step and then figure out which of these it is. You just do the thing that it is. Okay. Uh, so that's the idea of this pep. This is one of the things that's making Python 3.11 faster. Awesome. So to the main topic. Okay. And I'm, I'll just, just as a note, I'm saying okay as if I understand what you just said, but most of well, it I just think this will. It's all right. I think, well, let's, let's look at pictures. Okay. All right. So this thing by Brant uh, Boucher, um, it's, it's called Specialist, and it's about visualizing this specializing adaptive interpreter. Oh, okay. Good. What, okay. So... It says specialist uses fine-grained location information to create visual representations of exactly where and how CPython 3.11's new specializing adaptive interpreter optimizes your code. And it's not just interesting, it has actionable information. Okay. So, for example, see here, and if you've got to pull up this, the website if, if you're just listening. If you see in the website, you'll see some color. You'll see green, less green, yellow, orange and all the way to red. So there's two aspects. There's sort of a, a darkness as well as a color. So the the most, like where Python could take advantage of this feature, you see green. Where it can't, you see red. And uh, imagine the spectrum. It goes like oh, yeah. green, yellow, orange, red. So it's, it's not on or off. It's how much could it specialize, okay? Okay. So what you see here, for example, is it's able to take um, some numbers and index, um, an integer and a string, and then use the fact that it knows what those are to make certain things like appending an output and doing some um, character operations on it. Yeah. Right. It was able to replace that with a different runtime behavior because of this quickening. Okay. Right. So let's skip down here. I uh, gave you a bit of the background. So it says, let's look at this example. We have F to C, which converts Fahrenheit to Celsius. And what it does is, okay, we're going to take an F and it has type hints to say float, float. Okay, so, but those don't matter. <laughs> so it says, we're going to take an F and subtract 32 from it. And then we're going to do simple math. We're going to take that result, that range, that, that uh, size of temperature there based on zero. And then to, uh, multiply it by five and divide it by nine. We all learned this in chemistry class or somewhere where we talked about converting different um, measurements. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. So these are straightforward, but there's actually problems in here that make it slower and prohibit Python from quickening it as much as it can be quickened, <laughs> okay? 
So if we take this code, it just runs um, F to C and C to F, and it gives it some test values and says, just do it and tell us what happened. We can run specialist on it. And it says, okay, this X here, this, uh, the green areas indicate regions of code that were successfully specialized where red areas are unsuccessful, like it tried and it failed. Hmm. So it says one of the problems is start out the X equals F minus 32. It says, well, we can quicken operations on numerical types that are the same, but for now, there's not a float int and float variant of this. It's got to be float float. Oh, right. So it yeah. says, right, you, you could have gotten a faster operation there, but because the types didn't match, you won't. But then what it did get out is an X, and that's great, uh, an X, which is a float, and it's going to do some stuff, and it could sort of make it better, but it said, look, here's some multiplication again by an integer and a float. So that's not quickened. And this division, division is apparently never quickened. So what can we do? Well, with that information, you can say, well, what's the problem with subtracting 32? Well, it wasn't a float. Well, what if I said 32.0? Oh, yes. All right, that gets replaced by faster code. Oh, nice. Right? Yeah. So that's pretty nice. And if you want to return, it was adding like X plus 32 for the other direction. And now it's 32.0. That's faster. Okay, well, what else? What if we, now you can see when we did that part of the uh, conversion X times five divided by nine, if we put a 5.0, that gets faster still, but the divide is never quickened. Okay, well, what if we put the divide in parentheses? It doesn't really matter if it's x times 5 divided by 9 or x times 5 divided by 9, right? It's, these are mathematically equivalent, but they're not equivalent to Python because that, that operation results in, um, it leverages constant folding, right? 5 divided by 9 is pre-computed in Python to be a float. Okay. Right, at parse time, right? That's just how it works with constants. If it says it can do math with constants ahead of time, it does it. So that becomes a float, and then float times float is now quickened, right? Isn't this cool, the way you can apply this and actually make your code faster, not just go, oh, it's interesting, it must be quickening it there. But it's, yeah, it's actionable. It is really pretty cool, and I'd really like to see this incorporated into an editor or something to say, you, your code will be faster if you just add a point zero here or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to become a float anyway. It doesn't matter. It just, why would you write 32.0 when you just meant 32? Seems more precise to say 32. Because I'm used to doing that, to thinking if it's, okay. But me personally, I if I know it's going to be a float math, I usually do 0 0.0, but maybe maybe that's not a normal thing. Anyway. You're such a C programmer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, All right. Well, I think this is really cool. This it is pretty specialist cool. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I don't know if I have any code that does math at that fine a grain of level that I really care, but, but maybe, uh, you know, if you're in charge of a library where you've got a tight loop or you do a lot of math science stuff where it matters, then this can be really useful. And what's cool is it's not like, and switch to Rust or switch to C or switch to Cython and it'll take effect. Like, no, this, this is like yeah. straight Python code. This is just how do I take most advantage of what is already happening for performance boosts in 3.11 that we haven't had before. I think, and I think it's going to be just one more workflow step. So you, you've got, you, you profile your code, you, you, your code, your whole thing is a little bit slower than you'd like it to be. You throw a profiler on it. You see the bottleneck areas that you could improve. And you think, should I like rewrite some of this in Rust or C or, you know, what should I do? Well, first off, let's try doing this, like throw, throw, throw this at it and, um, and, and have the optimizer from 3.11 help you out. And, um, and yeah, so I think this, yeah. uh, I can definitely see that this is going to be part of people's workflow, but yeah, profile I agree first. that you don't, want to profile for, yes. 
Exactly. Because yeah. while it's fun to do this, yeah, yeah, only focus where it's going to matter. Don't don't optimize a bunch of stuff that doesn't. So uh, Brian out in the audience says, different Brian, is there a plan to do lossless type conversion or maybe Flakegate can make this kind of suggestion? Yeah, exactly. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'm not really sure if um, you don't want to write the code where you get different outputs, probably, right? But everything that was happening here, you res you ended up with the same outcome anyway. It's just like, well, do I do the division first or the multiplication? Or do I start with an int that results after some addition, subtraction with a float? Or is I just make them all floats, right? I feel like yeah. it's, in most cases, it shouldn't be changing the outcome. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, that's that's what I got for the first one. How about you? Well, well, kind of sticking with a three eleven theme so far. Um, uh, well, we can use Tommel now. Uh, but in three eleven, we are going to have a um, uh, Tommel lib be part of uh, part of Python three eleven with pep six eighty, and we covered that in uh, episode two seventy three. But I, I, w one of the things we didn't mention was that um, was the 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 Tommel lib is is and i think we did mention it is based on uh tomly but tomly you can use right now so a lot of projects are switching to use tomly as a as their toml parser um to to read read uh like pyproject.toml or or read their own uh config file and um and so i just wanted to highlight it it's a tomly is the uh, a little toml parser um it's a, it's a cute little <laughs> thing on the the project that is cute but um, but I was reminded of it because um, uh, real the real Python people uh, put out actually looks like Gear Arn sorry I'm not going to try to pronounce that name uh, real Python uh, wrote an article called um, Python and Tomal new new best friends and I really love it's a, it's a very comprehensive article um, but I really love at least the first three parts of it uh, using Tomal as a config format uh, getting to know key value pairs. And uh, load Tomal with Python because this is kind of what you're going to do with it. You're going to write config files for something, and I just kind of it's this is a great introduction of Tomal for Python, and that's kind of what we care about, right? So um, it goes through like just getting getting used to what Tomal looks like, what a config file looks like, talking about how all the keys, even if you, it's like key value stuff, and even if you you put a number there or something, it's going to be a string. All the keys get converted to strings, even if they don't look like them. Um, and they are um, they're they're UTF-8, so you can use um, Unicode in there as well, which is kind of neat. Um, Put your emojis so, in there. Yeah. Well, can you is is are emojis UTF-8? Um, I think I, mostly. Uh, okay. Many of them are. Interesting. That'd be fun to put put emojis in your. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What mode are we running? Are we running in cow mode or lizard mode? I'll do lizard. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're running in lizard, lizard mode, you need to check out. Okay. I got to try that to see. Uh, I should have done that sure. before. Oh my gosh. I think I almost, it's both horrible and amazing to imagine <laughs> writing like config files to like put it in, put it in lizard mode. Do it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I didn't, before reading this article, one of the things I didn't know you could do in Tomal, um, because I just sort of cursory, I use it with pyproject.toml and that's about it. But you can do um, uh, so uh, talks about um, normal how to read stuff. But one of the things is um, oh, what was I going to talk about? Arrays, uh, and you can do arrays of things which are neat and tables and arrays of tables. Uh, 
which is like, so you have arrays of tables are these bracket bracket things. And, uh, and then you can do dot stuff. So if you have like, uh, um, uh, was it user and user dot player, these will show up as, as like, you know, sub dictionary key things. Um, and so one of the things that I, and I played with it this morning and, uh, it really, I should have had a, something to show, but the thing I like to do is to just read it, uh, just like, uh, this article talks about reading it, just read the Tomo file into Python and print it. Um, and then you can, uh, and it'll print out as a dictionary and then you can create whatever format you want for your Tomo file. And then you can just see what it's going to look like. And then you know how to access it. <laughs> that's one of the best <laughs> ways to do that. So. That's awesome. Yeah. What an interesting format. That's pretty, that's pretty in depth. And so. uh, a blast from last week past. Ashley. Hey, Ashley says UTF-8 can encode any Unicode character. Emoji your heart emoji. Heart out. It. Very. <laughs> oh, yeah. You could do like, you know, is it in heart mode? Heart equals true. Heart equals false. Or, <laughs> exactly. uh, oh, for optimize, optimizer, you could do a flame emoji equals true. Um, exactly. So I love it. Yeah. I think, look, we have not leveraged the configuration as emoji sufficiently. No. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, PyTest should rewrite all of its config figs as emoji items. So. Just do a PR. I'm or, sure they'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'd be good. All right. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you about our sponsor for this week before we move on. So this week is brought to you by Microsoft Founders Hub. In fact, they are supporting a whole bunch of upcoming episodes. So thank you a whole bunch to Microsoft for startups here. Starting business is hard. By some estimates, over 90% of startups go out of business within their first year. With that in mind, Microsoft for Startups set out to understand what startups need to be successful and to create a digital platform to help overcome those challenges. Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Their hub provides all founders at any stage with a bunch of free resources to help solve challenges. And you get technology benefits, but also really importantly, access to expert guidance and skilled resources, mentorship and networking connections, and a bunch more. So unlike a bunch of other similar projects in the industry, Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub does not require startups to be investor-backed or third-party validated to participate. It's free to apply, and if you apply, get in then it's, you're in. It's open to all. So what do you get if you join or apply and then get accepted? So you can speed up your development with access to GitHub, Microsoft Cloud, the ability to unlock credits over time, as in I think it's over $100,000 worth of credits over time over the first year if you meet a bunch of milestones, which is fantastic. It'll help your startup innovate. Founder Hubs is partnering with companies like OpenAI, the global leader in AI research and development to provide benefits and discounts too. Neat. Yeah, through Microsoft Startup Founders Hub, becoming a founder is no longer about who you know. You'll have access to the mentorship network, giving you all uh, access to a pool of hundreds of mentors across a range of disciplines, areas like idea validation, fundraising, management, coaching, sales marketing, as well as specific technical technical stress points. To me, that that's actually the the biggest value is the networking and yeah. mentor side. So book a you'll be able to book a one on one meeting with these mentors, many of whom are founders themselves. Make your idea a reality today with the critical support you'll get from Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Join the program at pythonbytes.fm slash founders hub. Link will be in your player's show notes. Nice. Yeah, cool. Indeed. All right, I guess I'm up next with this order we got. And oh my goodness, Samuel Colvin, take a bow. <laughs> because <laughs> he put out a plan for what's happening with Pydantic version 2. But the reason I say take a bow is this is one detailed plan that is really, really thought through, thought out, 
uh, backed up with a bunch of GitHub discussions and so on. Wow. So the idea is Hydantic started out as an interesting idea and surprise, surprise, a bunch of people glommed onto it, probably more than it was originally envisioned to be so. So for example, SQL model from Sebastian Ramirez is like, Hydantic models are now our ORM to the database with all of the interesting <laughs> stuff that ORMs have. And, and yeah. Roman Wright said, guess what? We could do that for uh, MongoDB as well. Uh, same with the Pydastic thing we recently spoke about. And then Sebastian Ramirez is like, also like, hey, fast API, this can be both our data exchange as well as our documentation. Sure, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? So since there's a bunch of stuff on the insides that could be better, let's say, or you know, maybe time to to rethink this. So in this plan, it talks about what they'll add, what they'll remove, what will change, some of the ideas for how long it will take, and so on. Interesting. Yeah, here's a here's a pretty uh, significant thing. Uh, I'm currently taking a kind of sabbatical after leaving my last job to work on this, which goes until October. So <laughs> that's a big commitment to I'm gonna help make Pydantic better. Oh so wow! It's, it sounds familiar. It sounds a bit like uh, Rich and textual and, and those types of things as well. But this is a big, big commitment from Samuel and he's really doing a ton of work. It says, people seem to care about my project. It's downloaded 26 million times a month. Wow. It's insane. Yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of incredible. <laughs> it is. And so it says, uh, here's the basic roadmap. Implement a few features in what's now called the Pydantic core. We just had Ashley, who as we saw is out in the audience. Hey, Ashley who give a bit of a shout out to this feature. And also, I do want to also credit a couple other people because Douglas Nichols and John Thagen also let me know that this was big news coming. So thank you all for, for that. The Pydantic core is being rewritten in Rust, which doesn't mean you have to know or do anything. It just means you have to pip install something. You get a binary compiled thing that runs a lot faster. Okay, so more on that in a second. Um, First, they're working to get 110 out and basically merge every open PR that makes sense and close every PR that doesn't make sense and then profusely apologize to why your PR that you've spent a long time making was closed without merging. Uh, some other bookkeeping things, uh, start tearing the Pydantic code apart and see how many existing tests can still be made to pass and, and then release eventually Pydantic. The goal is to have this done by October, probably by the end of year for sure. A couple of things worth paying attention to. There are a bunch of breaking changes in here. A lot of things are being cleaned up, reorganized, renamed, some removed, uh, like from ORM, people might be using that with SQL Alchemy. That's being removed, for example, and, and so on. So there's, if you depend heavily on Pydantic, especially if you build a project like Beanie that depends heavily on Pydantic, you're going to need to look at this because some of the stuff won't work anymore. But let's uh, highlight a couple things here. Performance, this one is really important because this is the data exchange level at for fast API. This is the database transformation level. When I do a query from the database, what comes back comes back in some raw form and then is turned into a Pydantic model. And those are computationally expensive things that happen often. And in general, Pydantic version two is about 17 times 1,700% faster than V1 when validating models in a standard scenario. It says between four to 50 times faster than Pydantic one. Hmm. Wow. That's cool, right? Yeah. That alone should make your ears perk up and go, excuse me, my ORM just got 17 times faster. Wait a minute. I'm liking this. Uh, I'm, I, mean, I know that this is not the only thing that happens at ORLM level, but the ones that the ones I called out that depend heavily on it, like that's in the transformation path. So this is important. Yeah. 
This is actually, I'm, I'm super impressed. I have not, I, I normally don't even see this sort of advanced planning in commercial projects. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, oh yeah. You could do a whole business startup that doesn't have the amount of thought that went into like what's happening in the next version of Pydantic. It's ridiculous. Incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I was serious when I said take a bow. Um, it really lays out, opens a discussion about certain things and so on. So like another one is strict mode. I think I even saw a comment in the chat about it. So one of the things I actually like about Pydantic, but under certain circumstances, I can see why you would not want it is if you have something you say is an integer field and then you pass one, two, three, the number, great. But if you also pass quote one, two, three, Pydantic will magically parse that for you. Like this happens all the time on the internet. Like a query string has a number, but query strings are always strings. There's no way to have anything but strings. Yeah. So you got to convert them, right? So this automatically does that. But if you don't want that to happen, you say, you gave me a string, it's invalid. You can turn on strict mode, which is off by default, I believe. There's so also this, a bunch of plain, go ahead. So strict mode does the conversion or strict mode strict does Strict mode not? won't do the conversion. Oh, it says, okay. you said it's an int, you gave me a string. Nope. Rather okay. than, could it be an integer? <laughs> Let's try that first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe one of the things you do is... In the, in the ORM level, one of those things, you might put it in strict mode so it doesn't do as much work trying to convert stuff. I don't know if it actually would matter, but formalizes a bunch of conversions. It has um, built-in JSON support and different things. Uh, another big thing is this Pydantic core will be able to be used outside of Pydantic classes now. So you can do a significant um, performance improve to improve stuff like adding validation to data classes or validating arguments and query strings or a type dick or a function argument or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next up. Um, and let's see this one. Strict mode. We talked about strict mode. Another one is required versus nullable. There was a little bit of ambiguity of, you know, if you said something's a string, that means it's required and it can't be none. If you say it's a string type none or it's an optional string or something like that, then um, the, the basically the behaviors were a little bit different. The originally, I think this is when typing was pretty new. Said Pydantic um, previously had a confused idea of required versus nullable. This is mostly resulted from Sam's misgivings about marking a field as optional, but requiring a value to be provided to it, but allowing it to be set to none or something, something along those lines. Like um, hmm. anyway, th there's minor changes around that. Uh, let's see. Final one that I want to cover is namespace stuff. And this is like a whole bunch of things are now getting renamed. So for example, if you override, if you implemented or overrode validate JSON, it's now model underscore validate JSON. If you had is instance, it's now model is instance. Okay. So there's a bunch of these changes all over the place Yeah. that look like they're going to cause breaking changes. They're easy to fix. Just change the name, but you know, it's not nothing. Also parse file. <laughs> I also love his, uh, Hander here. Parse file. This was a mistake. It should have never been in Pydantic. We're removing it. Okay. Parse raw. Partial, partially replaced by this other thing. Anything else it did was a mistake. From ORM, this has been moved somewhere else. Yeah. Schema and so on. So you just, like, there's a lot of stuff that people were using here. So just have a look. Try it out. Don't just go, oh, then version two is out. It's just going to work. Like, this is going to have some significant changes. Um, so, but And then another yeah, reason good. why it's really awesome that he goes through so much detail is because there's going to be stuff that breaks. So it's a, yeah. it's a breaking uh, interface change. And so, yeah, it's good. It's cool that it's this detailed and a couple things to notice. Um, uh, let's see somebody else in the chat mentioned 
Richard mentioned, um, and he has emojis in the headers. Uh, yeah, there's emojis <laughs> in the headers. And I got to say, like oh, the um, the di- the uh, navigation in the table of contents, very cool. It like it goes to like uh, light gray for areas you've already seen, and then oh, that's uh, interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a cool thing. So yeah, it's quite cool. Uh, I I've been going on and on, but two real quick things. One, there'll be no pure pirate. Python implementation of the core. It's always Rust, but they list out the platforms where it'll be compiled to, including WebAssembly. Oh, nice. They previously had some Cython in what was supposed to be pure Python's Pydantic. And so now a kind of bonus is the Pydantic model, the Pydantic package becomes a pure Python package, whereas previously it wasn't. So they've taken like all of that behavior and put it under this core thing that ships as a Rust binary. And now instead of doing some Cython middle ground, it's pure Python again. So that's interesting refactoring, I think. Yeah. 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 And finally, documentation. When you get a validation error, it gives you a link to the documentation in the JSON error <laughs> message. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. All right. Yeah. Anyway, that's quite well a plan, out. isn't it, Brian? Yeah. Quite a plan. All right. Uh, well, I'm excited for it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, next topic is a, a little more lighthearted. It's about fish. <laughs> Pike, to be specific. Uh, no, it's about PDFs. Um, so there's, it's just a cool uh, project I saw unnoticed. Uh, Pike PDF. It's a Python library for reading and writing PDF files. What's the big deal? We've had these before. But this is, uh, it's based on QPDF, which is a uh, C++ based um, library. And it's con- it's presently keep continued being maintained. Um, so it's kind of pretty fast. Uh, well, actually, I'm assuming it's fast if it's C++ in the background. Um, but the uh, uh, it's it's also pretty just nice and elegant to do things. And the documentation um, has this nice fish, which is good. I always like cool, <laughs> cool diagram, cool, cool logos. Uh, but um, some of the neat things that you can do with it. So it's recommending that you not use it if you're just writing PDF files. That there's there's um there's other things that you can use. What was it like Report Lab to to write PDFs? But if you're having to read or modify PDFs, then this is where it shines. You can do things like uh, copy pages from one PDF to another, split and merge PDFs, extract content out of PDFs. Like if if uh, like if you're using it for data stuff, you get a report in PDF and you're trying to pull pull the information out. You can use you can use it for that. Or images, you can pull all the images out of a PDF file. Or this is kind of cool. You can replace images in a PDF file and generate a new one without changing anything else about the file. Um, it's kind of neat. So just kind of a neat. Uh, if people are working with um, reading or modifying PDF files, it's maybe check this one out. Yeah, this looks great. Uh, the fact that it's in C++, I'm guessing it's probably standalone. I remember I've done some PDF things before, and it felt like I had to install some OS-level thing that it shelled out to. So this is cool. Yeah, and the, the um, it, some uh, nice on the README, it has a, a comparison of some of the different uh, PDF doc, or PDF libraries that you could use and some of the reasons why you might want this one. Like, it supports more versions. I didn't realize that. Like uh, one of these libraries I've heard of before, PDFRW, uh, doesn't support the newer versions. So bummer. Um, and mm. then also um, uh, password protected files. Uh, it supports that, except for, but not public key ones, but 
No, just normal passwords. Straight passwords. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So it's kind of neat. Also like so the cool. um the measure of actively maintained, the commit activity per year over the year, something oh. like that. Oh right. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting metric. It seems good. I haven't really thought about it lately, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. All right. Yeah, this is a great one. Well, so that's well it for our main it, items. It? Yeah, what else you got? Any extras? Well, last week, last week we talked about um, the uh, the critical, critical packages, packets. critical, mm-hmm. pa- or at at some recent. <laughs> yeah, last week uh, we talked about um, critical Either packages yesterday or it's last yesterday, week, depending, depending on how you consume this. Exactly. Sure, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we, I was surprised to find out that uh, PyTest Check, the plugin I wrote, was was one of those. I'm like, really? Uh, because it's like the top one percent. So I, um, if anybody's curious i wanted to just highlight that a little bit so pytest check is a plugin that allows multiple failures per test and uh and one of the best ways i it's a secondary way that one of the contributors added is you can use it as a context manager you can say like with check and then do an assert and then you're gonna have multiple of those within a uh, i like the one liner even that's yeah nice and this is totally like black will totally reformat this if you ran it through black but it's nice. Uh, you'd have to block it out. Anyway, um, I I was like, how could it be? What? Well, I, I'm curious what it, what on the list it was. So there's there's a um, a place called uh, what uh, Hugo, Hugo VK, VK. Um, has a top PyPI packages list, and it's updated. I think it's just updated once a month or something. But you can do the top five. Uh, you can do the top five thousand. Uh, yeah, it's the top five thousand or one thousand or one hundred. And uh, so I'm. I'm curious. Was curious about what on the where on the list I was. I'm number one thousand six hundred and seventy-seven. So kind of far down the list, but hey, uh, hey we just talked. It's still it's still in the top third of the top one percent. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, the PyTest is number seventy-two. That was pretty neat. And Pydantic, which we covered, was um, was uh, I just checked one seventeen. Um, but there are there are fifty-seven PyTest plugins that show up in the top. 3500 so that's pretty wow pretty neat that is pretty neat that's all i got for extras all right well i have zero extras so mine are finished as well how about a joke yeah great all right i told you we're coming back to it so this one comes from netta netta coder uh, code girl uh, at netta n-e-t-a dot m-k and let me just pull this one up here right so this one is uh (laughs) there's this uh colleague here can i make this there we go make it a little bigger there's uh, the two women who are developers, Netta and her unnamed friend who always has <laughs> gotten in trouble with the elevator last time, basically. And there's this sort of weird manager looking guy that comes in and says, I tested your chatbot, but some of its replies are really messed up. Well, that's that's what testing's all about. I'll go through the logs later, says one of the girls. No, 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 no need. <laughs> right, check out the faces. Just like, excuse me, I'm not even sure I want to open the logs now. Yeah, yeah, don't look at the logs. <laughs> That's what testing's for. Uh, I'll go through the logs later. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, she, she's got some good ones in her list there, so love it. Yeah, I, I like the art, too. Uh, nice art. I do, too. It is, too. Also nice was our podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, you we'll bet. See you next week. See you next time.